Let's pray. Oh Lord, speak to us. Reach us with this love that never fails. Amen. Do you want to be healed? Have you ever walked down a hall of a hospital and while you're going down to visit the person you came to see, kind of looked in the other rooms as you're walking down the hallway? You see so many people, patients, just lying there, many of them with their eyes closed. They're just waiting and waiting to feel better. Well, the man in our gospel story reminds me of those people. For most of his life, he'd lain and waited at a pool reputed to heal people. For 38 long years, he'd been hopeful but unable to meet the conditions to secure healing at this pool. So his invalid body hadn't changed. And now he might've even been an old man if he'd gone there when he was around 12, 38 years, he was 50. Not many people lived to that age. After investing most of his life into getting healed and not knowing any other way of living, I'm guessing that by the time we see him, he had decided to doggedly stick it out, stay at the pool until he either was healed or died. What else could he do? He didn't know another way. I imagine on the day we see him just lying there, he felt discouraged, dispirited, and invisible. Little did he know that someone had been noticing him. He didn't know Jesus or anything about him, but he knew, Jesus knew, that he had been there a long time. On the day of our gospel story, Jesus is actually seeking him out, and it was all perfect. The man, the pool, the strategic location of the pool being near the temple complex, right near the sheep gate that you could go into the complex, and a multitude of invalids who all wanted healing. Jesus had already done a quiet first miracle, turning water into wine at a friend's wedding. He had done a second remote miracle, healing an official's son without actually going to the official's son's house. And now in his gradually expanding way, he was going quasi-public with his third miracle in a very intentional place with a very intentional man amidst a very intentional audience who were all seeking healing, but were putting their faith and hope in a false God and a false myth. Everything was perfect for this third miracle before Jesus expanded into his big time public miracle, which is the next miracle he does of feeding the 5,000. And what was this pool, this place exactly? Well, it was an Asclepion, Asclepion. A sacred healing pool dedicated to the healing god Asclepius or Asclepius, depending on which language you're speaking. He was the Greco-Roman god of medicine, the son of Apollo, god of healing, truth, and prophecy. 
Archaeologists and Jewish scholars figure that the pool of Bethesda was one of about 400 Asclepions all across the Greco-Roman Empire. And they're generally agreed that this five-colonnaded pool was not used for purifying Jews. Jesus is never recorded as having sent anyone there. He did send a blind man he'd just healed to the pool of Siloam, but never did he send someone to this pool. I actually saw the pool when I went to the Holy Land in 2008. So did you, Karen. (laughs) I'm guessing Jesus was hoping that doing a public miracle in this place would arouse curiosity amongst the people there. So Jesus made his move. He approached the invalid man, a man who had turned in his ignorance to Asclepius, the invented God, a man who might have wondered about the Jewish God on the other side of the wall through that sheep gate, but been befuddled, a man who likely felt stuck in his situation. When Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? The man chose to clearly explain to this ignorant stranger standing right there that he wasn't healed, it wasn't his fault, no one had helped him, it was other people's fault. His prickly answer did not deter Jesus. In fact, incarnate mercy walked right up to him in a whole group of hopeful, ailing people who were barking up the wrong tree of Asclepius and simply said to the man in a gentle, non-judgmental way, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And when the invalid man did just that, we don't know if the curiosity was engendered. We don't know if they wondered if Jesus himself was the pool of healing they'd been seeking instead of all that water. What we do know is that a change deeper than healing had also occurred in him. He was drawn to go to the Jewish temple because Jesus ran into him there. And Jesus, sensing that he was there because he had a teachable heart and it was a teachable moment, said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more meaning don't miss the mark anymore. Don't don't embrace these false belief systems that they're not gonna get you anywhere or so that nothing worse may happen to you. So then we think, well, what's what's the nothing worse? What's the worse? It could be Jesus was thinking of missing out on all the saving graces that come from following Jesus and life with him in eternity, or there's something worse could have been quite focused. He could have been thinking of hell. Jesus wants buy-in, which is why he asked the man at the pool in the first place, do you want to be healed? You see, the word Jesus used for heal or well, it's the same word, it's hugies, which means A lot of things, it means sound, whole, healthy, and restored. 
Likely Jesus was thinking of all of these things when he spoke to the man. Jesus does want us to be sound, whole, and healthy in our physical, mental, spiritual, and behavioral health. Now, or eventually, yes, and he also, also, he wants us to be restored to the new Eden in harmony with God in the new Jerusalem for all eternity. Do you want to be healed? Is a question that stretches beyond what we usually think. If Jesus were to ask us, any of us, do you want to be healed? I imagine we'd all in some way say, yes, please, heal our bodies, heal our life circumstances, heal the guy at my job that's giving me so much trouble. We need healing. Yes, right now, please. And we wouldn't be thinking outside of ourselves necessarily about healing of society, the world, or certainly not eternal restoration, not initially anyway. We'd want Jesus to say to us and to those we love, see, you are well, when we want to hear it now. But Jesus is thinking of the whole spectrum of wellness and graciously, mercifully, he wants to proceed with us one step at a time into that wellness. Timing-wise, sure, healing can be instant like it was with the man at the pool. But sometimes it can span decades. Sequence-wise, Hugie's healing is accomplished in the order that's best for us, which is often not the order we'd prefer. But trust me, God does have his reason for the timing and the sequencing. In the case of the invalid of our story, sickness drove the invalid to the pool. The worldview at the pool entrapped him for 38 years, believing in a false God, which led him to being singled out by Jesus, which ultimately led him to be healed, which led him to the temple. We're all also on these steps, somewhere along these, this road of all these sequences and timing. We don't know what further steps happened after we left the man in the story. But we can ask ourselves, what is God's loving mission for us? If physical healing is being delayed in any of us, it could be because God's wisdom, in his wisdom, physical healing isn't the best next step for us right now. It's not the best next step. It'll be a step, but it's not the best next step for now. With some of us, if Jesus were to just go ahead and heal our physical problems right now, we'd never be motivated, we probably wouldn't be motivated to seek healing for the leaden, deepful, hurtful memories we carry. Jesus might wanna develop strength perseverance and compassion in us through the daily challenges we face. But one thing is sure, on this side of the veil, the hot pain of illness forges 
a powerful relationship with God. And that powerful relationship becomes a moving witness of God's worthiness. There was a Harvard professor, Harvard University professor, who was speaking at something called the Veritas Forums. Harvard used to host these forums. Maybe they still do, I don't know. They would bring uh, multiple Christian speakers from multiple disciplines together to answer questions from the awfully bright Harvard student body, which I was not a part of, I was a guest. (laughs) The professor was in a wheelchair and it was one of those wheelchairs where he could control the chair with his mouth. And he could even control it to make him be in a standing position when he talking to someone else who was standing. The astonishing thing about this professor was that he wasn't complaining or really saying anything about the fact that he was quadriplegic. The thing he shared was that he was in excruciating pain every day, all day long. And it would be 24 hours, except that he had a magic pill that he could take to let him sleep. And then the minute he woke up, there was pain, excruciating pain again. He shared that when it occurred to him that Jesus must be doing some sort of deeper work in him, he started not hating the pain. He started being open to what is Jesus doing? What is the story that's being developed in my life? And he stayed faithful to God. He chose to stay faithful. And the more he stayed faithful to God, no matter how much pain he was in, the more his colleagues and friends started wondering about the worthiness of this God he was so devoted to. What kind of God could command such loyalty, such faithfulness, such adoration and love? The man knew that it was a God teeming with pure love and unimaginable goodness who was wise far beyond the wisdom that he had or this world has. The professor was a sort of living martyr to his own body's persecution as he held fast to God throughout. He spoke and taught with calm Occasionally, he might even smile and have a little joy. And he gave witness to the worthiness of God. I'll never forget him. Those of us who are here, who have gone through years of acute pain or suffering with chronic conditions that apparently there's no cure for yet, might be discouraged, confused, and irritated to hear a sermon of Jesus's healing miracles. Great, why doesn't he do that for me? We might be saying in our minds. I started wondering, is it me, God? I had decades actually of pain. Is it me, God? Is there something I need to do? I wanted to be open-minded. I wanted to be teachable. I asked God for a new way of thinking. Metanoia, yes, yes, that's a word. Do that in me. 
a new way to understand why he left me suffering. Did I need to forgive someone? Okay, I'll do that. Do I need to rest more? Apparently I did. (laughs) Did I need to do nothing but let God be God and let me just be his little child? What good and wise purpose do you have, God? Without a purpose, I don't know if I can hold fast to you in the midst of all the pain I experience. When I was in the most pain, I certainly couldn't just get up, pick up your bed and walk. I'd be in a fetal position on the playroom floor crying. But I could figuratively get my eyes up looking to Jesus in prayer. I could figuratively pick up my bed of pain and walk through my recollections of what God had told me in the past. Through Job, who said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I said that line again and again and again. I found strength through Julian of Norwich, who said famously, all will be well. And our former bishop of the Anglican Diocese of New England, Bill Murdoch, who loved saying all the time, God is good all the time. I would say that again and again. And I'd keep reminding myself about the character of God and say, God is all-powerful. He is all-wise. And he is all-good. And even though I don't know why he doesn't relieve my suffering with his power, I know that his reason has to be not only wise, but also good. And that is enough. After years of prayer and fight, I was finally worn out from striving to hear and receive a pain-transforming insight from the Holy Spirit. Well, that insight came. It turns out that all my life, I had had a conditional results-driven relationship with God, which was actually hurting me because having a conditional relationship with God, I'll love you if you heal me, if you help me in this situation, if you help me pass this test, was hurting me because I'd often be disappointed and confused. So I made, when I got that insight, what felt like a reckless, counterintuitive move. I apologized to God, I repented, but I decided to replace my my conditional love for God with unconditional love, no strings attached. With that one decision, I felt a free fall into a giddy but quiet sort of joy. And peace, deep peace came as I surrendered to the unknown. Jesus was my Lord. God was my Father. And I could be his child. Do you want to be healed? I ask you, 
Are you willing to go the distance if that's what God knows is best for you? If the answer is yes, yes, please, yes, then get up your eyes to Jesus. Pick up your bed of pain and hope and walk with Jesus all the days of your life. Let's pray. To settle ourselves into our prayer time, I want to pray a scripture over you from yet another witness to the goodness of God. It's from Lamentations. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Pray with me this simple prayer like a child. Teach me, Lord, what I need to know. Show me, Lord, how I can grow. Hold me, Lord, when I am slow. And never, no, never, let me go. Amen.